صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. It's February. It's subscriber month. COVID-19 restrictions have had a wide-reaching social and financial impact on 3CR and our community of volunteers. 3CR relies on the support of its listeners to keep going. We're a not-for-profit community radio license holder and a strong subscriber base is vital to our financial independence. We're community-owned and community-controlled. As we know, there's an ongoing and dire need for independent community-owned media. Media that is free of commercial influence and government bias. Media that speaks your language and gives voice to your community interests and concerns. Independent, community-owned media is unique, precious, and a necessary element of a functioning community. Palestine Remembered is unique. We volunteer our time and energy each week to bring you Palestine. 3CR is one of a kind. There are over 400 volunteers here, 120 shows, and we cater for everything from First Nation voices, community language, workers' rights, LGBTQI plus community, and a great mix of musical genres from opera to heavy metal, people with disabilities, alternative current affairs, and much, much more. Where else can you hear about Palestine? Anti-nuclear issues, union-run radio shows, anti-fascist analysis, and the amazing raft of music, views and voices present at 3CR. Independent community media is more important than ever and we hope you can show your support by becoming a member. I know you value independent community media and radio and that's why you need to help us keep 3CR on air. 3CR relies on our listeners and supporters to stay online, on air and on point. Do me a great big favour, do Palestine in Australia a favour, do 3CR a favour and subscribe today. You can do that at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Call the station if you don't want to use the internet. 94198377. 94198377. Press 1 and you can subscribe over the phone. Thank you so very much for your engagement, financial support and your commitment to keeping 3CR on the air. Last Friday, a long-awaited decision of the International Criminal Court decided it had jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute allegations of war crimes and crimes against humanity occurring in the territory of Palestine, that is the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. Palestinian advocates and supporters around the world have welcomed the decision. It comes after years of political pressure waged against the Palestinian quest for justice and accountability by Israel and its supporters, including the US. Last year, the Trump administration instituted sanctions against the prosecutor and another high-level staff member within her office, citing that the courts work in the situations of Afghanistan and Palestine. The US and Israel are not members of the court. Australia and Palestine are. Joining us to speak to this is Rowan Araf, who is the Principal Lawyer and Director of the Australian Centre for International Justice. Now, she's a lawyer with 10 years of legal experience in refugee protection, administrative law, and international human rights law. Rowan is a superstar. I've known her for some time and she joins us today. Good morning, Rowan. 
Good morning, Nasser. Thank you for having me on your show. Now, Rowan, can you tell us a little bit about the Australian Centre for International Justice and what work it is you do? So the ACIJ for short, because it is a mouthful, uh, we're a specialist legal centre. In fact, the first specialist legal centre that's working on promoting and enforcing global justice and uh, providing avenues of access to justice in Australia to victims of grave crimes or international crimes, uh, namely war crimes, crimes against humanity and uh, the crime of genocide. And our primary role is really to develop Australia's ability to conduct investigations and prosecutions of these crimes under the principle of universal jurisdiction. But we also want to make sure that Australia's conduct is consistent with international human rights law and international humanitarian law. And to that end, we work with organisations abroad and here to uh, progress that agenda. And for example, your listeners might have heard about our role in trying to advance Afghan victims' rights. That's the victims of um, allegations of Australian special forces war crimes in Afghanistan, which of course in the next couple of years we'll be um, seeing a lot of uh, action on that and hopefully we'll be um, pushing and providing su legal support to victims and their families in those cases. Fantastic. Congratulations. Now, Rowan, oh, we've got you on the radio show today to talk about the ICC, the International Criminal Court, and exactly what's happened there with respect to Palestine. But first, can you tell us a little bit about the ICC? What is it? Why was it established? What's it actually do? What's its remit? So the ICC is a permanent international criminal court um, and it was established to investigate and prosecute persons that are suspected uh, of the most serious crimes of concern to the international community as a whole. Namely, these crimes are war crimes, crimes against humanity and the crimes of genocide and aggression. And the court's mandate is to end impunity that is enjoyed by perpetrators of these crimes and to hold them account when national courts are unable or unwilling to prosecute them. And I think the important thing to remember is that the ICC investigates and prosecutes individuals. So this is about individual criminal responsibility and not state responsibility. We're talking about a very serious body that theoretically, has it got any link back to the Nuremberg courts and the laws there and making sure that the world is a humane place and better for all of us? Is that what we're trying to do? Yeah, I think you can say that the ICC really is the progression or manifestation of an international criminal justice movement, which could, um, you could say, began really in the Nuremberg trials um, post-World War II. And then you had in the 90s, the culmination of two ad hoc international criminal tribunals that focused on specific um, areas in the former Yugoslavia and Rwanda. So the ICC is um, a result of, I think, civil society and victims communities pushing for a more permanent international criminal court. There are uh, 123 states parties. So this is, a, I guess you could call an opt-in membership. Um, not all of the states that you could say where there are serious crimes around the world at the moment, not all of them are parties to the ICC. So there's still a long way to go in terms of universal ratification of the Rome Statute, which gave birth really to the ICC. Just for your listeners to understand how it works, because you do have an office of the prosecutor um, one of the four main organs of the court. And the role of this office is really it's responsible for investigating and prosecuting those suspected of committing Rome statute crimes. The current prosecutor is Fatul Bensouda and her term is actually coming up this year in June. She will vacate her office and we will actually know who the new prosecutor of the ICC is, I think Saturday morning Australian time. So a lot of observers of international justice are really eager to see who will um, come out um, 
uh, as the new pros the prosecutor. And the Office of the Prosecutor really, you know, it conducts the examinations and criminal investigations and it operates very similarly to a public prosecutor in our legal system. So they do the investigation and the prosecution as well. So we're actually speaking about the ICC today, specifically because there's been a recent announcement with respect to Palestine. What did the Palestinians ask for? Yeah, so the announcement really, you could say it's a landmark decision um, because um, after decades of struggle and many years waiting in the preliminary examination phase, the the pretrial chamber of the International Criminal Court came out to say that um, the Office of the Prosecutor can uh, exercise its jurisdiction in the territory of Palestine, and it confirmed the Office of the Prosecutor's view, which is the territory comprises the West Bank, including East Jerusalem as, and the Gaza Strip. So any Rome Statute crimes occurring within that territory um, is able to be investigated and prosecuted by the International Criminal Court. So it conferred another layer of legitimacy with respect to the Palestinian desire for self-determination and statehood. That's right. And that was a very important um, part of the decision. I, I, you could say, you know, it's another court, an international court that is um, confirming the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination. I think I should just say right here um, about the issue of jurisdiction and when the ICC can act. So when a state becomes a party to the Rome Statute, by doing that, it agrees to submit itself to the jurisdiction of the ICC with respect to the Rome Statute crimes. The court itself can exercise its jurisdiction in situations where the alleged perpetrator is a national of a state party or where the crime occurred in the territory of those state parties. So, in, for example, in Palestine. Also, a state um, not party to the statute can decide to accept the jurisdiction of the ICC. And finally, the Security Council can also refer situations to the Office of the Prosecutor, and we see that in the situations of Libya and the Sudan. Israel asked its friends before the ICC determined that they did have jurisdiction. Israel asked its friends, colonial countries like itself, like Australia and Canada, the United States, submit responses. Australia did, took up Israel's call to say that there was new jurisdiction because Palestine was a state. What's in it for Australia to do something like that? Well, I think to our great shame, Australia was one of those seven states that did respond to lobbying by Israel and some other countries to provide observations to the court to intervene as an amicus and provide observations. And, you know, it's really disappointing and unfortunate turn of events because this is totally inconsistent with Australia's position of supporting justice and accountability around the world. And it also reflects, I think, a double standard on Australia and those countries where, you know, there is justice for some people and not for others. So clearly Australia doesn't support equal access to justice, doesn't support the right of Palestinians to access justice and accountability. I mean, I think it's important also to, I guess, contrast some of the statements that Australia has made. Um, and so the statement from Mary's Payne on Saturday in relation to the decision was, I think, really dangerous in a way because it undermines the court's independence. This is an international court and here you have a minister suggesting that, yes, of course, it has deep concerns and that's fine. The Australian government can disagree with whether or not Palestine is a state or whether it engages with it in some way. But I guess to suggest in the way that Mary Payne's, uh, the foreign minister's statement suggested, which, quote unquote, the ICC should not exercise jurisdiction in this matter, I think that's a dangerous statement and I think it undermines, like I said, the um, independence of the court. You certainly wouldn't expect statements like that in relation to decisions 
from Australian courts. I think that would have a lot of people worried about the kind of pressure on a court, on judges that such a statement can have. So I think this is a really dangerous remark. And obviously, we would say that Australia should be supporting um, investigations of grave crimes at the International Criminal Court. I had a look at the statement that Australia produced or provided at the Assembly of States Parties in 2019, and very similar sentiments in many other state, uh, statements in years prior. The Assembly of States par Parties really kind of runs as a, the governing assembly of the ICC, and it's an opportunity for states to reaffirm support for the court, etc. And so nation states or member states to the ICC provide these important statements. And, and Australia's statement contained the following, and I'll quote, History has demonstrated time and again that without accountability, there can be no lasting peace and sustainable peace. Victims are calling consistently for justice as an essential component of viable political outcomes and reconciliation. So this was in December 2019. And a couple of weeks after that, so this was the Assembly of States Party statements, and when the Office of the Prosecutor in December 2019 saw a ruling from the office from the pretrial chamber about the Palestine's membership and to request a confirmation of territory, rather, a statement from DFAT on Australia's intervening. So when, when Australia decided to intervene and request that its uh, observations be provided to the court, there was a statement from the media to from DFAT to the media, and I quote the following. We consider that the question of territory and borders can be resolved only through direct negotiations between Israel and Palestinians. This is the only way to ensure a durable and resilient peace. So you can see in this quote here that it's a complete contrast and distinction to the statement provided at the ASP more generally. So it seems here that what Australia is saying is that the Palestinians don't deserve recourse to justice and accountability to ensure peace, that they should just... Uh, not pursue this course. Only other victims can have justice and accountability, that without accountability, there can be no lasting peace and sustainable peace. Obviously, Australia doesn't extend that value to Palestinians. And that's the really unfortunate and disappointing thing about all of this exercise is that Australia has really shown its double standards, that it doesn't have an independent foreign policy, that it doesn't pursue avenues for access and justice um, for access to justice and accountability equally to all people. It is really, really sad as Australians for us to be governed and ruled by a government that says, we don't think it's a state. So even though crimes might've been committed there, don't look over there, you're not allowed, you shouldn't look over there because there's no jurisdiction. I mean, the absurdity and the inhumanity of the statement beggars belief. Hmm. What's the reaction been from the Palestinians? So I think it's important here for us to note that Palestinian activists, lawyers, human rights defenders, victims, communities themselves, they are the ones that had led this push. They are the ones that are responsible for this landmark decisions. And of course, it's going to be a long road ahead and they recognise that. So I think for us as the ACIJ, we're really here to support and amplify our um, uh, sister and brother organisations in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, many of whom I know personally, and I had a good chance to meet them again last, uh, excuse me, in 2019 when I 
um, represented the ACIJ at the Assembly of States parties. Civil society organizations are a big part of the Assembly of States parties, at least in side events, etc. So they are really fascinating and amazing individuals who work under extreme pressure, obviously, of the daily violence of the occupation, but also of um, external pressure from Israel and its allies abroad in terms of um, trying to obstruct these avenues to justice. You know, this is not, this has been a campaign that's been waged by the by Israel and supporters to deny Palestinians access to uh, avenues and um, bodies abroad where, you know, Palestinians believe that this is their only way to um, seek accountability and have Israel account for its ongoing violations of international human rights and international humanitarian law. I should state, Nasser, if you want me to talk about what is what are the possible um, allegations of crimes that could be investigated um, by the Office of the Prosecutor and eventually, hopefully, also uh, prosecuted at the ICC. As a result of her conclusion in 2019 of the preliminary examination, Fatou Bansouda's stated that after a thorough, independent and objective assessment of all reliable information, um, that there are reasonable grounds to believe that war crimes have been and are being committed in the West Bank, including in East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip, by members of the IDF, um, Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups and members of the Israeli authorities. So she, um, as part of her assessment, the prosecutor highlighted the following allegations. You can group them into five groups for now. The following allegations of the commissions of war crimes and crimes against humanity. The first is Israel's economic blockade of the Gaza Strip, which Israel has imposed, um, you might know Nasser, obviously, since 2007, and it's fortified by um, land, air, and sea, and has had a devastating humanitarian impact on the people of Gaza. Also, Israel's conduct of the war in Gaza during the summer of 2014, what's known as Operation Protective Edge, that resulted in the death of 2,100 people and injured, obviously, tens of thousands more, destroyed property, etc. Um, also, the Israeli colonial settlement enterprise in East Jerusalem and the West Bank. And I think it's important to break down here for your listeners what this enterprise really means and the effects of the, the settlement enterprise on the Palestinian people. Devastating impact on the livelihood and freedoms of the Palestinians, which include this land confiscation, settler violence, confiscation of natural resources, home demolitions, forced evictions and displacement. Um, settlements uh, also cause economic deprivation and extreme poverty. They impact on freedom of movement, and that's because of the result of the network of bypass roads, checkpoints, and gates. They, are, they contribute to food and water insecurity. That's related, obviously, um, to denial of access to uh, crop areas and farmland. And, of course, the annexation wall, which um, also impacts in terms of uh, severing landowners and, and ties uh, from their farmlands and crops. The other grouping of crimes that could be investigated by the ICC include the lethal, the lethal shootings by the Israeli military of Palestinian demonstrators in Gaza from 2018, what's known as the Great March of Return, where they were demanding an end to the blockade and the right of return for Palestinian refugees. These protests um, resulted in the killing of at least 300 people, including nearly 50 children, by live ammunition by uh, IDF snipers, they also resulted really in the devastating injuries of thousands, tens of thousands of people. 
And finally, the ICC might also investigate the indiscriminate shooting of rockets by Palestinian armed groups into Israel. Of course, uh, any potential investigation is not limited to looking at just those incidents, but that's just some of the allegations of crimes that the prosecutor identified in her examination. A significant list. What's Israel's reaction been? I can't imagine they've been very happy. Um, I think the usual that you would expect, obviously, they've... um, Oh, they're not anti-Semitic. Don't tell me they're anti-Semitic. Yeah, the, one of the statements from Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, was uh, it was so-called pure anti-Semitism. But I think that can be easily dismissed. The Office of the Prosecutor has shown, I think, um, professionalism in looking at the allegations of crimes and determining those, determining how to act according to the Rome Statute. So you can expect to see Israel and its supporters. Obviously, we saw that Israel has already said that it's calling on its allies to release statements against the court's decision. Uh, We don't know if Australia's was a direct response to that. But, yeah, so you can expect to see that there will be a lot of (laughs) continuing pressure by Israel and lobbying, possibly even obstruction and in some way lack of cooperation with the ICC in the future, etc. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. One of the realities is that the Palestinians asked the ICC to come in 2009, and the ICC said Palestine wasn't a state. In 2015, the United Nations General Assembly recognised Palestine as a state, and Palestine acceded to the Rome Statute. Thus, the ICC should have been immediately applicable to us. Here we are as Palestinians, and we are subject to the same investigation. As you mentioned, those five different categories, one of them was Palestinian armed groups, Hamas, etc. It's absurd that we're having to celebrate this, isn't it? Look, and I think, you know, what I've heard from Palestinian civil society organisations and groups around the world is that, you know, there's part of it as a celebration because it is a landmark decision and it's one way where Israel can finally, Israel and its leaders can finally face some sort of accountability because all other avenues are completely blocked. This situation, as you know, is marked by chronic impunity. And so this is, I think, just one way to ameliorate that. I've seen some critical perspectives from really established and, and you know, great Palestinian intellectuals like Nora Erika. So I think, you know, I would encourage your listeners to also read into some of those views about what it means for the Palestinian cause more broadly. But from our perspective as a, as a civil society organisation that is um, supporting civil society organisations in Palestine, 
I think we could say that this is a really important decision and recognizing, of course, that it doesn't stop there, that the road ahead is going to be quite arduous and uh, filled with many more challenges and uh, a lot of political pressure. And so I think they're prepared for that, but we should support um, Palestinian groups in in their fight to access um, justice equally. Fantastic, Rowan. And we've only got a few minutes left. Tell us a little bit more about how our listeners might support the Australian Centre for International Justice. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, we are a very young organisation, uh, just over two years old, and rely really heavily on the support of individuals all around the country. So we would um, greatly appreciate financial support, You can donate online to our organization and it is tax deductible. So you're welcome to go online and support us um, at acij.org.au. You can also follow us on all the relevant social media for any updates and also sign up to our newsletter to receive uh, work, what we're doing more broadly, not just on the Palestine and the ICC. Obviously, it's a very small part of what we're doing but also in supporting access to justice to victims of torture and war and conflict here in Australia. So please log on and follow us and uh, support us. So that's A for Australia, C for Centre, I for International, J for Justice, acij.org.au. I'll put a link in the podcast. Rowan, do you want to speak to Maurice Payne? She was on the radio recently talking about Myanmar. Yeah, I mean, I think this just you know, follows on from my remarks about selective forms of accountability, Australia really showing its colours in terms of double standards of international justice. You know, Maurice Payne, Foreign Minister Maurice Payne was speaking on ABC Radio just yesterday, discussing the really concerning incidents that are happening in Myanmar post the coup of the military. And she seemed to describe with real concern, and I would agree with her completely, uh, the potential of violence against protesters and the use of water cannons, for example, that had just started to be displayed in the streets of Myanmar. But of course, this is also very similar to what Palestinians have experienced in demonstrations for decades. And of course, in the most recent manifestation of violence against Palestinian demonstrators that we saw in Gaza in the great return uh, march of return. Tear gas was used, obviously live ammunition, and you don't see those sorts of statements of empathy from the Australian government in relation to Palestine. In fact, what I've said is that this Australian government and successive governments in the past, even Labour-led from Prime Minister Julie Gillard's government, have been consistently hostile to Palestinian human rights in the international fora, whether that's at the UN General Assembly or the Human Rights Council, and of course this intervention at the ICC. Australia's position vis-a-vis Palestinian human rights has been really shameful, um, inconsistent with its position on human rights globally. So I think you see here this manifestation, this double standard, which um, is not acceptable. And I think that uh, Australian people wouldn't support this view. My feeling and my understanding is that the Australian people support the Palestinian human rights struggle and the Palestinian struggle for equal access to justice and accountability and would be ashamed by the position of the Australian government at the international fora and especially at the ICC to block an investigation into allegations of really serious grave crimes. Thanks so much, Rowan, from the Australian Centre for International Justice. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth, and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. 
until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media is a warfare against our people and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Thanks for listening to another episode of Palestine Remembered on 3CR, your radio station, community radio. Be sure to subscribe, go to 3cr.org.au or call in and pay your membership. We need your support. We need 3CR to be on air, not just for Palestine, but for all marginalised voices from refugees through to the LGBTQI community. 3CR does a vital job. I'm sure you'll agree Rowan was fantastic. And if you want to follow the work of the Australia Centre for International Justice, acij.org.au, be sure to go to their website, subscribe to their socials, uh, check out what they're doing. They've got a newsletter that they send out pretty regularly, so get on that. Thanks for listening to Palestine Remembered. Your support is essential. Share the podcast. Tell your friends. Victorian listeners, another five days of lockdown. I'm here with you, my empathy and support for you. Reach out if you need a hand. Take care. Remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.